Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in lovely Greenville, South Carolina. I am your host, Stan McCune. As you guys most likely know, I am a realtor here in the greater Greenville area of, of South Carolina. I'm also in Spartanburg. I also do some stuff every now and then in Anderson, Lawrence, Pickens, all these surrounding counties, but Greenville is my base. Um, you know, this is a small area, so we have to cover kind of a wide uh, range of places. So I kind of do business in all of those places. And if you need a realtor in any of those counties, in any of those areas here in the greater Greenville area, let me know. My contact information is always in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe, leave us a rating, leave it a review. Uh, let me know if you have any thoughts or if it's not on the podcast app that you prefer to use. I've tried to get it on as many uh, podcast platforms as possible. Um, but again, my contact information is in the show notes. You can just text me if uh, you're trying to find the podcast and it's not on whatever platform that you use. Today, we're going to be talking about trust in real estate, which for a lot of people is an oxymoron, Right. There's a lot of distrust in real estate, really all over the place. I'm not just talking about trust or distrust towards realtors. There is distrust across the board in real estate, distrust for inspectors, distrust for uh, appraisers, distrust, of course, for realtors, distrust for the other party. If you're a buyer, You might have distrust towards a seller. If you're a seller, you might have distrust towards a buyer. There is all sorts of distrust. Distrust towards contractors. That's another big one that I hear over and over again. So there's a lot of distrust in real estate. And we have some, as humans, all humans, we have gut instincts that inform whether we should trust or distrust someone. Uh, But I want to think through that a little bit and kind of spell out five categories, or you might even say five questions that we can ask ourselves to determine whether or not someone is acting in a trustworthy manner in real estate. And you could probably extend this beyond simply uh, the real estate transaction, except I'm just not an expert in anything besides the real estate transaction. And And let me just say, none of this is like any kind of, there's no research behind any of this. I haven't done any kind of psychological study or anything like that. This is just from my personal experience, what I find to be good metrics, uh, good questions to ask to determine if someone is trustworthy in real estate. I have dealt with a lot of people in real estate, a lot of contractors, a lot of appraisers, inspectors, all of that, lenders, a lot of different people. And when someone that is not trustworthy does something that is not trustworthy feeling, my spidey senses start to go off, right? I can determine, okay, something here is off. But you know, it's helpful if you can actually determine what that is. To just have the spidey sense, to just know that something is off, that's not an entirely helpful thing, I mean, that might prevent you from doing something that you shouldn't, but it's even better if you can identify what that thing is so that then you can be like, okay, is my spidey sense going off for the right reasons? What is going on here? Maybe uh, 
I just need to ask a different question of this person, or maybe this person, I just need to, to fire them and find someone else. So I have here five questions that are kind of uh, five key things that, that I think we can ask people in real estate, um, or maybe not ask them, but ask ourselves as we're communicating with people in real estate to help us determine if they are trustworthy or not. The first one is uh, one that I think is is probably the most important out of all of these. Um, they're not really, these aren't really in order, but this first one, it's first for a reason. Um, and it is, do they, whoever it is you're talking to, again, this could be realtors, inspectors, lenders, appraisers, whatever, do they answer questions or give advice that helps you but could hurt them? Do they answer questions or give advice that helps you but could hurt them? Now, this is really, really important because there is a bit of what we call a moral hazard in real estate. Me as a realtor, when I'm communicating with my clients, and and here's the thing, and I, and I make fun every now and then of some of these uh, real estate television shows that are out there. There's so many of them now; it's unbelievable. So it's, cra- it's crazy how much that genre has exploded. But you always see these realtors, and what they're doing is they're they're following the stereotypes. and And if you see realtors on movies, it's the exact same thing. Right? I was just re- rewatching Breaking Bad recently. Um, I'm going back through it and there's a situation where there's a realtor going through a house that used to be a meth lab and she's just focused on all the positives of the house, all these great things. Oh, don't look at that. Don't look at this. This house is just going to be perfect. All you need to do is just all these little things and it'll be great. And that's the stereotype, right? These realtors that they are just trying to sell you on the house. Now in real estate, we do have to, to do sales, obviously, and if I have a listing, I'm going to try to sell that house on behalf of my client. But there is, again, like I said, a moral hazard that I'm just trying to get business for myself, and so I'm not necessarily going to be completely honest with someone about whatever it is that they're looking at, whatever property they're looking at, or whatever the case may be. That is the risk that's out there. And that's a risk with contractors. Contractors hold a ton of knowledge about code, about construction just in general, about cost of materials, cost of labor, all sorts of different things. And they have a moral hazard as well where they can try to upsell you on things. And you have really, unless you're you're very knowledgeable about, about that world, um, you may not be able to to even know what questions to ask in order to make sure you're not getting ripped off. There is a lot of that. Same thing for lenders. Of course, one of the simplest ways to combat that is to make sure that you're communicating to multiple people. That's why it's good to, um, until you find a contractor that you like, it's good to interview multiple contractors. It's good to interview multiple realtors. I always encourage people to interview multiple realtors. I feel pretty good that... The vast majority of the time, people interview multiple realtors, they're going to hire me. Um, So I'm not self-conscious about that. I'm not worried that I'm going to lose out on business when people people interview other realtors. Uh, That's fine. Make sure that you find someone that fits you. If you find someone that fits you, uh, in your opinion, better than me, great. Work with them. There are other good realtors out there. I'm not going to pretend like I'm the only one. 
Um, but one of the simplest ways outside of, of interviewing multiple different people to determine if someone is trustworthy is when they give advice, when they talk to you about something, when they uh, try to inform you about different things or answer your questions, do they only ever give answers or give advice in ways that would help them, that would line their pockets, that would bring them money, bring them business? Or are they upfront with you about, you know what, for instance, as a realtor, you know what, I don't think this is the right house for you. This is not going to be a good investment. You shouldn't do this. This this doesn't make sense for you. Or maybe they're not that pushy. I personally am not a real pushy realtor. I try to lay out all the information for my clients and let them make a decision. So I just uh, showed a house recently. And as soon as I walked in, I immediately realized, okay, there is deferred maintenance in this house. And it wasn't like uh, anything big that I saw right away, I could just see a lot of little things. And when you start seeing a lot of little things, there are big things somewhere, right? Because people that ignore little things, if they're not able to afford fixing the little things, guess what? They're not able to afford to fix the big things. This is normally how how life works. And uh, as we went through the house, it was a pretty big house, um, as we went through the house, I started noticing more and more things, and then I started to see the serious things. I started to see where there appeared to have been uh, some uh, moisture issues. Started to see where there appeared to be some structural issues. Um, and so, guess what? You think I just kept that information to myself? No. I went to my client as we were walking through. I was like, hey, listen, you need to look at this. This this is not good. This is clear evidence that there must be a moisture issue here. Went around, we looked at a bunch of other things. I saw some other issues. We go outside, we look, and, and I see big cracks in the brick veneer. Now, cracks in brick veneer happen all the time, but this was substantial. And, um, and it became very apparent as I was looking around at different things and, and we were looking around at different things, I noticed this house is actually starting to fall down in one corner like it is starting to collapse um, just the way the grading is or whatever um, the house was starting to pull apart in one corner um, and so I told my client that and it was like yeah th this is not that was kind of like the final that was like the last thing we saw and that was the final straw it's like no 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 no, no. this is more than just okay a little bit of crack in the brick veneer homes settle all the time but if a home is settling to the point that it's starting to pull away and and that settling hasn't stopped. And that was what it looked like to me. It looked like the settling hadn't stopped. There are some ways you can identify that. Maybe I'll, I'll do a different podcast on that one of these days. But it, it looked like the settling was ongoing and that this was going to be a major, major problem somewhere down the road. Um, and I've talked to lenders as well. The, the, I, I have a lot of lenders that I've dealt with over the years. There are some really good ones. And you know what? The best ones, they'll be like, hey, you know what? This is not going to be the type of loan that I can do for you. There are better people out there to handle what you're looking to do. Let me refer you over to them. I'm not going to get anything out of it, just goodwill. I'm, I'm going to send you over to them, and they can help you out. Um, same thing with, with contractors. If you, you have contractors, and, and they're looking at the house, and they're like, you know what? This would normally be what I would advise to do this full package, but you could get by with this. 
I mean, you don't need to get the highest grade granite. What you know in this area, go with a cheaper grade type of of material that will help you out in the end. Um, maybe they'll say, you know what, I'm we're, numbers are kind of tight here. Um, I've got a sub that I can use a little bit here and there. Um, he doesn't do as great a work, but this isn't a top of the line type of project. If you're okay with it and you're just trying to pinch, pinch pennies, I'm willing to use this sub rather than my normal guy that costs a lot more and does stuff in much nicer neighborhoods than this typically. Things like that. That They're discussing with you the options. They're talking it through with you. They're not just saying, okay, here it is. This is this is what we need to do, and it just so happens that that thing that we need to do um, is the thing that's going to bring me the most money. So that is, I think, the number one thing. That's what we're going to, out of all of this, have spent the most time on, is giving advice that doesn't necessarily help them, but definitely helps you, and it may end up causing them to lose money. That is the number one thing to look for to help you determine if someone is trustworthy in real estate, in my opinion. Second thing on my list, second question, do they admit when they're unsure of something or tell you when they're making a guesstimate? So this is also a really important one. There's a lot of people that just show a ton of confidence in real estate. There's just overflowing with confidence. In fact, one of the, you know, one of the realtor stereotypes is is this larger than life type of personality, type of person that um, they have an answer to everything. They're they're really outgoing. They uh, have all kinds of ideas. They know a little bit of everything. Um, well, guess what? I don't know everything, and I don't pretend to know everything as a realtor. And anyone that does pretend to know any everything, they are misleading you. And I think it's really important. You know, if if I'm dealing with a contractor, and the contractor says, um, you know what, I need to check the code book on that. I I don't remember exactly what the most recent code is on that, that's great, as long as they get back with me. Now, if they say that and then they never get back with you, um, that's not a good sign. Uh, But they say that and then they check it and they say, okay, we found this out, Um, I I looked it up, and this is all we need to do to bring this up to code. Uh, Easy peasy. Um, If someone asks me, you know what, what do you think this house is worth? Um, that's a question that I get an awful lot. You know, I don't really like to answer that question off the cuff. It's not that I don't have this general knowledge of what homes are worth in different areas, but uh, the difference between like saying something that's like ten to fifteen thousand dollars off and being right on the money—that's a big difference. I'd rather not just throw out, "Oh yeah, it's worth three hundred fifty thousand um, dollars." It it might be worth. $375,000. It might be worth $325,000. Who knows? Um, the market changes constantly. There's constantly new comps coming on the market. You also have to look at what hasn't just been sold, but what is currently on the market. Um, and so I will tell people when they ask me that question, I'll, I'll try to give them a, somewhat of a help, helpful answer, not just completely pass the buck. But I'll say at the end of the day, you know, I really need to go back and uh, and research this out more and actually look at all the data to make sure that I know exactly how to answer this question 100%. Um, and that, again, that's something I think that's really important. Rather than just throwing something out there 
you can throw something out there as long as you're, uh, as long as that person admits that they're just throwing it out there. You know, if I have a contractor, I might ask a contractor, "What do you think this is? This is going to cost?" And he'll say, ten thousand dollars." You know, just off the cuff, right? Um, if he's just saying that off the cuff and he doesn't really know, um, and he doesn't admit that he doesn't know, that's a problem. Uh, and and I appreciate it when a contractor is like, you know, I'm not entirely sure, but if I had to guess, I would think it would be between like eight and ten thousand dollars, something like that. I appreciate that from a contract that contractor. That is uh, a helpful way of framing it. That tells me that they are, uh, or that at least is an indication that they are going to be honest and forthright with me. That's something that I think is very important to look for. Question number three, do they provide data to back up their claims or do they only make claims? Again, this kind of ties into the last question, but when someone says, okay, this house is worth X, Y, Z, you know, I'll hear this from Sour sometimes. My house is worth $300,000 and I'll just be like, oh, okay. Did Zillow tell you that? Did Redfin tell you that? Like, did an appraiser tell you that? Did you get a, uh, a CMA or a BPO from uh, from, you know, a local real estate firm? Like, where did you get that number? Oh, well, my neighbor down the street sold for, for 275 and my house is a lot more than that. It's a lot nicer than that. And it's like, okay, that's not really data. <laughs> you know, saying my neighbor sold for, for XYZ and my house is nicer, therefore my house should sell for XYZ more, um, that's not that's not data. And you'll hear this in real estate all the time. You'll hear people make these claims. They'll say, oh, this is the nicest house in the neighborhood. Mm, okay, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> Have you been to every house in the neighborhood? Um, I actually saw a listing one time that said that. This is the nicest house in the neighborhood. And you know what? It's possible that they were right. It's very possible that they were right. But that's a claim that that is kind of a turnoff to me. It's kind of like, hmm. I, I don't know about that. I, I'm not sure that I that I buy that. That that's kind of starting me off uh, in the wrong headspace in terms of my opinion of you. If you say something like that, there needs to be data to back up the claims. And so this is something if you uh, are talking to someone, and again, you reach a point where you build rapport with with someone if you know them for a while that you don't need to always hound them for data. But when you're you're trying to learn whether you need to trust or whether you can trust someone or not, when they say something uh, that is inherently uh, based on some sort of data, they should have some sort of data to back it. If they say, I'm going to list your house and I think it's worth this much, where are they getting that data from? They should have comps that they're looking at. They should... Um, be able to explain those comps and how those comps are different or similar to your house. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, with again, with contractors, they might uh, they might say that they have you know this opinion on on something that that should be done. Well, well, what's the data to back that up? Why do you think that that needs to be done? You think I need to rewire the whole house? Why? Show me why that needs to be done. Give me something other than my opinion is it needs to be done. 
have a couple electricians come in and have them write a letter with their name on it that says this must be done for this reason or or have something uh you know from the codes department that says that just saying that and just kind of making that claim up that's no good that doesn't help me there needs to be data if if claims are constantly being made without data that's a red flag that's a red flag if you're constantly having to ask for the data that's a red flag Hopefully, most of the time, now, now there are some times where we just have residual knowledge, people that are experts in, in a field, they might just have residual knowledge. A contractor might know, oh man, you know what, if, if we get this permitted, this is what, this is what the county is going to uh, expect us to do. Okay, they might, they might just have that residual knowledge, um, and so they, they might not inherently know what part of the code book says that. I understand that, but... If there's constantly claims being made without data to support those claims, um, that's a problem. That's something that is a red flag that you need to consider. Question number four. Do they have multiple solutions to problems? This is a really important one because no problem only has one solution. Um, No uh, issue that you run into only has one way to address it. There's always multiple ways to skin the cat, as the expression goes. And I really look for this in everyone. Any vendor that I that I use, I want them to be able to provide me multiple solutions to problems and for them to be able to tell me the pros and the cons, the plus and the minus. Um, I had, uh, there's a house that I'm flipping right now and we are doing some uh uh, there's a little uh, front porch gable um, uh, over the front porch, obviously. And we're going to do some accent siding on that. And uh, it's going to be board and batten. And um, I was talking to the contractor about, okay, this is this is the board and batten that I want. Here's what I'm looking for. And the problem right now is it's, it's pretty difficult. Uh, everything is so backed up. It's pretty difficult to get the exact siding that you want. Um, you really have to look at stuff that's in stock, and that's really limited. It's just it's just a tough time uh, to be doing house projects. And so uh, this contractor, he um, he said to me, you know, what? I know a guy that pretty cheaply can make uh, out of wood materials board and batten siding. This isn't a very big area that we're trying to cover. He can do that, and then we can just paint it. And what's nice about that is then if you don't like the paint color, because the paint color was a big the color was a big deal. It's like, if you don't like the paint color, then we can just repaint it and you won't have, have to like have a bunch of expenses with new siding and all of that. You know what? I love that. Great. That is a great solution. Didn't even occur to me that he might have someone that's able to make a quality wood board and batten siding. Awesome. Yes. Let's definitely do that. Um, when I have clients that come to me or other agents that come to me with a problem. I'm always trying to think of different solutions to the problems. I always try to have um, not just multiple solutions at the beginning, but a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. We want to make sure that we're able to address all the potential issues that could arise here. And there's a lot that can happen during a real estate transaction that we want to make sure that we get out in front of. So, Multiple solutions to problems. That is a key indicator to me that someone is trustworthy. If they just say, nope, this is the only thing we can do. We, we don't have a whole lot of options here. 
Um, most things in life have multiple options. And if someone only has one option in their mind, and that's the only thing that they can come up with, either they're not shooting you straight, or they're being lazy, or uh, or they simply don't know their stuff. I mean, most of the time, it's going to be one of those options. Um, because usually there are multiple solutions to a problem. And we want to make sure uh, that the person is a, is someone that is willing to think outside the box and be honest. And maybe they offer you solutions that they don't care for, but they can be honest with that. They can say, well, you know, I wouldn't do this, but this is an option. I was talking to an electrician recently about um, scenario where there were two-prong outlets, switching them over to three, uh, what all would be involved with that. And so he was explaining to me about how, yes, you can simply replace two-prong outlets with non-grounded GFCI outlets that have a sticker that say that they're non-grounded GFCI outlets on them. Um, and yes, you you can do that. You, you can get by with that. Um, but there are some disadvantages to that. He was taught, we were taught, had a long discussion about grounding and how all that works and what the ramifications of that are in, in terms of safety and all of that. Um, not that I didn't know that, but I'd never had that detailed of a dis- discussion with an electrician. So it was very helpful. And just him explaining all of that, I already knew this electrician was trustworthy, but that was him exemplifying it, that he was trustworthy. He was able to discuss the multiple different solutions and not just offer them and give prices, but talk them through. Here, here is what this buys. Here is what this buys. Here is how all of these things work. Last but not least, uh, the final question for uh, whether someone is trustworthy in real estate is maybe a bit uh, intuitive in some ways, but non-intuitive in others. It's do they have time for you? Do they have time to answer your questions, to talk through your concerns, to answer the phone when you call, to, uh, and this is particularly true when something is going wrong, because that's when people stop answering the phone, is when they've messed up in some way, they're ashamed, they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to deal with an angry person, and it's it's difficult. And so, you know what, it's just easier for them just to be like, ugh, they're calling again, ignore um, that's not what a trustworthy person does. A trustworthy person, a stand-up person, they're going to stand there and when that call comes through and they're going to answer that call knowing that they're about to have a difficult conversation. That Let me tell you, we all know, because we've all had that before, that is one of the hardest things to do is to know that that call means something bad and to still sit there or stand there and answer it. Um, but I think even just aside from that, even just normally, if someone is just in normal trying to, uh, you trying to contact them, um, you trying to get together with someone, if they don't have time for you, that is a really bad sign. There was a, um, a guy, uh, recently that is a, he's, he claims to be a local lender. Okay. Um, doing like hard money loans and, and creative financing for uh, investment properties and the like. And 
I like working with local people. That can be really helpful, really beneficial to have local people, particularly when it comes to money. They understand the market. They're not as afraid to uh, lend money on real estate because they get it. They they get how the numbers work. It's not, you know, them having to call you every few weeks like, hey, where's my money? Um, I don't like that. Um, so this is the local guy. But you know what? If... We're having a local person. They're not like affiliated with like a major bank. I want to get together with them. Or they're not affiliated with some major company. I want to get together with them. I want to have a face-to-face, a man-to-man or man-to-woman type of conversation with them to see what they are, to read their body language, to to ask them questions, to to see how they respond to to some of these things that we've already gone through, to see how they answer if they have multiple solutions uh, to problems, if they are willing to give advice that could potentially hurt them. I want to make sure that I can get in front of those people to to read all of that. Well, this person who is, quote-unquote, the local lender, I couldn't get him to uh, to commit to getting together with me, ever. And it was like, he would he would answer the phone, he would respond to messages I sent him, but every time I'd be like, hey, I, I want to get together this week. When are you free to get together? And he'd respond with, okay. Like, that. I asked you a question. Like, responding okay is not the answer to the question. Um, and, and I tried this several times before finally uh, giving up. And then, lo and behold, I saw later in a uh, real estate investors group that I'm a part of, a bunch of people saying that this guy... Um, was not a trustworthy person, that he had done some shady things, and that they highly recommended not to use him. So guess what? He didn't have time for me. And you know what? Maybe it was the kind of thing where he knew if he got together with me that it would just be very clear that he wasn't trustworthy. Who knows? I have no idea what all was going on there behind the scenes, but the bottom line is that that was a very important metric for me. I was not going to do business uh, with this person or uh, recommend him highly or or at all really to anyone else until um, I got together with him and saw that he had time for me. When he didn't, that told me everything I needed to know. And then I found out even more than I needed to know when people that I know started to say, watch out for this guy. He's doing some shady stuff. And so... Looking at how much time someone has for you, whether they answer the phone when you call or call you back, whether they're willing to get together, all of those things, that tells you something about that person. They might just be really busy. Um, but again, do you want to do business with someone that's too busy to get back with you? I mean, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. Um, but sometimes people don't have time for you because they're not trustworthy. And I have learned that uh, over and over throughout the years. So those are my five questions. Do they answer questions or give advice that helps you but could hurt them? Do they admit when they're unsure of something or tell you when they're making a guesstimate? Hopefully they do. Do they provide data to back up their claims or do they only make claims? Do they have multiple solutions to problems and do they have time for you? I hope that's helpful, helps you to, to think through uh, your instincts, when you find someone instinctively in your mind to be untrustworthy, maybe you can fit them into one of those buckets. Maybe you have your own buckets. I'd be happy to hear what you guys instinctively, as you think through this, 
are using to determine whether a person is trustworthy or not, let me know. My contact information is in the show notes. Again, leave this podcast a rating or a review. I'd really appreciate that. Please go ahead and subscribe, download future episodes. Until next time, I hope you guys stay safe.